It is the 200 level episode 117, third times a charm. Mike Carpenter in the basement for what is a, a happy day, a happy podcast because football will be back. We had the Bears on Sunday, whatever that game was. I know that the first two hours and 30 minutes of that stunk. The last 45 were great. But with Illinois football on the horizon, however good or bad they may be, it is exciting as a podcast focused on Illini sports to get back to talking about Illini sports, however good or bad they may be. Eight-game schedule, a ninth game that looks to be a wild card against whatever spot you finish in the standings in the West. Let's say Illinois finishes fourth. They would play the fourth-best team in the East. So kind of a bonus game at the end of the schedule there. We'll get into more of those details, even though... The schedule is not officially released. We do have an inkling as to who they will be playing, and that's kind of based on the schedule we got on August 5th. There are, of course, the health and safety concerns. And a big thing with the restarting of Big Ten football, and really football in general, that I've had to kind of reconcile myself, is on one hand acknowledging that there are the inherent risks involved with it. And I've talked about that quite a bit on this show, obviously. But on the other hand, I'm still a sports fan. I watch football, and I've been doing this for my entire life, and I've been able to differentiate the enjoyment that I have watching it from the the knowledge that it is a very dangerous game. And certainly within the last 15 years and the concussion research, that becomes more and more prevalent. I mean, we know what we're watching. We're watching a gladiator sport, and guys are kicking the crap out of each other. But we accept that, right? So how is it okay for me to do that on one hand, And then on the other say, well, I don't think they should be playing because of a pandemic. I've talked about this before. The big difference, I think, is that concussions are not contagious. Certainly, they affect more than just the person that gets them. It affects their family and other people that have to deal with the ramifications. But when it comes to a global pandemic, I don't think that it is a good faith argument to say, well, you know, you watch football and they have concussions and head issues. Why wouldn't you watch it now with coronavirus going on? All these contradictions, though, or all these possible contradictions, I found myself this last weekend watching a lot of football. Some of it good, some of it crappy, but it was football, and I found myself just kind of sinking into my chair and watching as much of it as I could and not getting tired of it and actually feeling, man, this is normal. Normalcy in a time where we're really just kind of grasping for any sort of normalcy. The return of football has certainly signaled that in a lot of ways. And you could argue that the Big Ten is behind the curve, but I think that there may be a way that the Big Ten emerges on the other side of this looking really smart. Intentional or unintentional. Trust me, there are reasons to be cynical about the decision-making process from the Big Ten. Why did they change their minds so quickly? I get a feeling it wasn't the parent letters. I don't mean to belittle those parent groups, but (laughs) they seem to be doing a lot of patting themselves on the back today, along with a certain individual, a writer for the Daily Caller, which I think is a political publication, but he fancies himself a Wisconsin sports kind of scribe, I think as well. But you will find a lot of that going on. And you know what? Listen, I'm just happy enough that football will return, Illinois football, that they can go ahead and do their victory lap if they want to. I don't think it's going to be that meaningful because, for one, that is as loud as that segment of the population has been. There is a fringe element of the let them play movement that I I really think it's that fringe movement that would say, hey, well, we brought this back. We are the reason the Big Ten football is back. No, the reason it's back, if we're being completely honest with each other, is that they saw the other conferences go first. The other conferences were guinea pigs. 
they got it done fairly successfully, at least so far, with minimal interruptions. And they said, okay, well, now that we know it can work, we'll do it ourselves because the money is something we simply cannot pass up. But without being fully cynical, I think we should acknowledge that a lot can change in the course of a month in terms of establishing the protocols they need to ensure the health and safety of these student athletes. I realize that that line sounds like a token, I might as well be in the athletic department at that point saying something like that. But truly, the Big Ten can get this pulled off with minimal disruption. Yeah, the occasional guy testing positive and then they can't play, forget this, 21 days before they can return to the football field. But I think they can get this done without postponements, without schedule interruptions, in a way that other conferences may not be able to. I'm speaking a little bit from this localized experience in Champaign-Urbana and the university and what they've done in terms of rapid testing. We've seen that it can be done. We've seen that even after, about a week and a half after Chancellor Jones sent a letter to the student body saying, get your act together or else, and the numbers have actually went down fairly considerably. So it's kind of working here, which is great. And that's one thing I want to say before we move on to the show proper is that I mentioned the patting patting themselves on the back quotient of this whole debate that would say, well, we were the ones that brought Big Ten football back. On the other side of that, people can maybe interpret some of the things I've said as, I told you so, or like, I want these things to happen. Truly, I want the best case scenario, whether it be for universities and students staying on campus or for football getting going again in a healthy way. I don't want to be the I told you so guy. Okay, and I I mean that. I do not want to be the ha, 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 I told you it wouldn't work, when in actuality, I want it to work. I was just skeptical. But maybe this might actually get done. We might actually find ourselves in late December with a full nine-game season being played. That ninth game is just kind of random, but whatever, I'll take it. That means basically Big Ten football as I was about to say Christmas parties, who's really going to have Christmas parties, as you're having your own individual Christmas party in the comfort of your home, apartment, or wherever you may live. But December, Big Ten football, the only time I've experienced that, Illinois Fresno State, 2009. And if it's half as fun as that game was, we're in for a treat. Okay, reminder, the 200 level, it's brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. Now, here's the deal. You can get a custom zone with any topping you want. That's a great option. They got some favorites that are tried and true. Since DPDO opened, the Maui Wowie and the Buffer Zone, that was our go-to back when we were in college. The great thing about DPDO, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Piping hot to your door. You can stay in the comfort of your residence, and you don't need to go to campus if that's not something that you want to do right now. Understandable, but they got you covered at dpdo.com. Also, fourthandkirby.com, and guess what? that really cool new Illini football t-shirt, you'll be able to wear that for a game day in the next month. October 24th, I believe that's the first day, the 24th or 25th. Go to fourthandkirby.com, stock up. You buy two t-shirts, you get one free. And also you can use coupon code 200level or the 200level for 10% off your order. You got to get stocked up. We got a month before the first game of the year, fourthandkirby.com, great vintage-inspired Illini apparel at fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, any kind of insurance, they got you covered. And more than that, Brian and his staff are people that you can trust. I've known Brian for a while. Uh, when it comes to insurance, 
or banking, all these things, they're Latin to me. So I need to go with someone that actually knows what they're talking about. But more than that, Brian and all the rest of the staff at that insurance office, they're local. So if you're East Central Illinois, they have your local interest at heart as well. That's brianismyguy.com. Got to thank Champagne Showers Podcast Network and Illini Inquirer, partners with the 200 level. And here's something new. Jeremy Warner and I, we were texting on Sunday about getting something going again. And what we are going to do regularly, sooner rather than later, is a Monday podcast. We might record it Sunday evenings. We might record it Monday afternoons. I'm not sure. We're still figuring that out. But the Illini Inquirer podcast will have Mondays with Mike. That's me. I'm going to be joining Jeremy, especially as we get into football and basketball season, for a weekly podcast. We did about an hour on Monday's show talking about the Bears, talking about Big Ten football. We knew that the announcement was inevitable. We didn't have a lot of details about it yet, so we spoke in generalities, but go back and listen to that. If you haven't already followed the Illini Inquirer podcast, you can do so anywhere podcasts are found. Great stuff and exciting to be just doing shows with Jeremy again. We did quite a few back in the day on 93.5, and we would consider it what? Carp J. Diem, I think was our nickname for that, when it was me and him. And I found that over the years, as we got into it, there were very different flavors for when it be Lon and me or when it be Jeremy and me but it's like riding a bike. It was really easy to talk with him, but I think that speaks to the fact that whether it be Jeremy or Lon or Trevor or Harry, the cool thing about that setup there was that we really did uh, grow a friendship amongst all of us. So it's just hopping on Zoom, having a conversation about Illini sports. That's what we're gonna do all fall into the spring, and we'll give you all the details as we get closer, but you can get the first taste of Mondays with Mike on the Alana Inquirer podcast. They just posted a new one today with him and Gavin, Gavin Good about Big Ten football coming back. So exciting stuff there. More programming for you. That does not affect the 200 level, apart from the fact that we might do Tuesday, Thursday now. Now, I know this is a Wednesday that you're getting this. And part of that is because the Big Ten sort of drug their feet on the announcement. Last night, information was scarce, and I thought, okay, I can come down to the basement on a Tuesday evening and record a podcast that will be immediately dated the following morning. Instead, let's wait. Let's get all the details before we come out with this. But we do have details to talk about, Um, and we're going to get to those now because with Big Ten football being back, we can start planning our fall. And for me, the big thing with football, apart from the actual enjoyment of the games, is the traditional aspect of it. And knowing that my Saturdays and Sundays in the fall are going to be tied into watching the Illini and the Bears. Now, Sunday was a great experience. Well, I say that. Three quarters, it was not a great experience. I thought the Bears are terrible. We're looking at like a 6-10 and team, as many of us thought. And who knows, they might still very well be that team. Then the fourth quarter happened, and in this year of all years, I'm just going to suspend disbelief for a little bit and say, you know what, maybe the Bears can figure something out, go 10-6, and six, get a wild card spot. Maybe there's that 5% chance that Mitch Trubisky in year four figures it out. All those things after week one, it's fine. Enjoy it. And we'll cross that bridge when we need to get there. The bridge, of course, being that the Bears are likely mediocre and Sunday was just beating a bad Lions team. But for the fall, Saturday Illini, Sunday Bears, that's the routine. And to be able to experience that again this weekend, setting up shop on my porch on what was a beautiful September weekend and just consuming football game after football game, it was amazing. Let's call it what it is. Even though the quality of the product may have been just okay, I thought it was surprisingly good given the fact that you didn't have preseason in the NFL 
and the haphazard nature of training camps for a lot of these college teams, yeah, I thought the quality of play was decent. At least for my eyes, I did not uh, find a lack of enjoyment because it was too sloppy or the players clearly weren't ready. I think it was overall a decent product. But I did miss the presence of Illini football. Not terribly. And you all know this very well. Illini basketball comes first. Illini football is secondary compared to that. And that just goes with the history of both of those programs. It is difficult to be as invested in this football program as it is the men's basketball program. It just is. But nonetheless, you want a rooting interest. And for Notre Dame and Duke, I don't really have a rooting interest. I guess Duke a little bit because they aren't Notre Dame, but who cares? For Louisville and Western Kentucky, I don't really have a rooting interest. I'm watching it, but I don't really care, right? With Illinois, you finally have a dog in the fight again, and we will have that in late October. So strictly from a sports perspective, this is a great day. This is the return of something that means something to all of us. And even though we won't be able to go to Lot 31 or go into Memorial Stadium to actually watch the games, I'm fine just watching it on TV and getting a little bit of Illini football in a year which I didn't think we would. And that can go back to June when they brought the student-athletes back and I thought, I don't think this is going to work. That can go back to August when the postponement was made in the first place. That it seemed like a long shot, even though Illinois, more than any other school, and that's not hyperbole, more than any other school had the protocols in place to do it and do it safely. So let's start with that. This is a win for the Big Ten, right? But if there is a program in the Big Ten that's more deserving than any of them for having done all the things the right way and getting the infrastructure in place, it's probably the one in our own backyard. UIUC in general, and also this athletic department, I need to give them kudos. They had the program in place from the minute those student-athletes stepped back on campus. They were able to identify who had it, quarantine them right away, and they kept the numbers very low and then kept the rest of those summer workouts safe. So that is a win for Josh Whitman and this program and all the medical experts that helped them figure their stuff out. That is a sign of how you could do it. So when that news came through in August, it was understandably, I mean, disappointing is probably an understatement for all of those folks over there who worked as hard as they did to get it done. I have been told before that I'm either too hard on the DIA or I'm just critical enough, but I do want to balance that by giving them the appropriate amount of praise when they've done things right. I think for the most part, they've handled this right. Certainly, there is the whole contradiction here of pretending that we're looking out for the health and safety of student-athletes when there is still the uncertainty about myocarditis. I'm not one that thinks this is going to afflict 60% of football players or 30%. I don't know what the number is. It might be 5%. It might be 1%. But it's that uncertainty that makes playing football a tenuous proposition, even with the testing in place. But this could be done. This could be done. The rapid testing that the U of I started, I don't think the Big Ten explicitly said that it was the U of I saliva-based testing that they would be using, but all these advancements in rapid testing have led us to a place where you can get it done. There is no vaccine, which I believe the Big Ten referenced in their initial statement back in August as something that was maybe, if not a prerequisite, something that was important to them getting competition back. There is no vaccine. There won't be probably until at least, what, November, December, and that's only for essential personnel. But I think you can still get this done even without a vaccine. 
What will be interesting, though, is the fact that these games are still being played on home campuses. This is not a bubble setup like they're talking about for college basketball, which, by the way, sometime today, maybe after this podcast, they will make that announcement that basketball will be back November 21st. So that's exciting, too. But without that bubble setup, you still run the risk of Rutgers, for example, coming from New Jersey and then going to, let's see, I don't know if they would play Wisconsin or not, but let's just say that. We look at Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, positivity rates all above, I believe, 8 or 9%. And oddly enough, those are three of the schools that I think were sort of uh, vouching for the return of football louder than most. You can include Ohio State in that as well. But yeah, that's the thing. You're still going to these campuses. You're still staying in hotels. You're transporting hundreds of people to go play these games. There is still inherent risk involved, even with the rapid testing. But where this is potentially different is that you could almost ensure that any guy that steps on the field is COVID-free. That is encouraging. I am not much of an expert in terms of incubation period, how long it takes for someone to test positive, could they be contagious before they even test positive, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that that all could get muddled fairly quickly. But if I look at the path for the Big Ten to get these eight games in eight weeks, and then that ninth week, which would have the championship, and then the random ninth game for every other team, it does seem like they can get it done, and that the other conferences were somewhat guinea pigs in this whole experiment. Was the Big Ten smart enough or shrewd enough to have that in mind when they postponed in August? No. <laughs> I don't think so. I I could maybe be accused of defending Kevin Warren, but I've always tried to delineate here. On one hand, Kevin Warren completely botched the rollout of that announcement. The communication was terrible. I acknowledge that. On the other hand, I thought that the outcry was larger than it should have been and that it was all too easy for people, uh, the angry parents, for example, to claim that this was a matter of transparency when at the end of the day, I think that their big issue was they just wanted to play football, right? So no, I don't think the Big Ten was shrewd enough to think, you know, we're just going to wait until after all the leagues have played their first weekend and then we'll make an announcement. No, I think this is a little bit of public pressure. I think it was more perception. Not that it came from any one individual place. It's not as if the Nebraska parents, they sent one letter and that did it. Maybe the lawsuits had an impact, I'm not sure. But like a thousand paper cuts, all the parent letters, all the pissed off people, and then finally a weekend full of college football games and the television money that comes with it. And you look at these presidents and chancellors and, hey, if you got the rapid testing, it's safe enough. That is a yellow flag, right? It's safe enough. The risk is never going to be completely eliminated. But I think we could probably say it is being minimized as much as it could be. So October 24th, we get the games rolling. I think we're looking at Friday, Saturday, potentially even Monday night Big Ten games. I found myself going on Hulu Live recently and just being surprised at the amount of sports that are on. We got the NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball. We have NFL back. We have college football back. And it seems like any night there are four or five different things on at once. And that is just a far cry from where we were two and a half months ago. So for the Big Ten to say, well, we might have Friday, Saturday, Monday night games, exciting. That means just a fall full of sports entertainment in a year that I didn't know how much we would get. I thought the fall, if anything, was going to be the major drag. And at the very least, we're going to have this distraction. In terms of what the schedule looks like, at the time of recording this, we didn't have the schedule, but we did get this nugget from the Purdue Athletic Director, Mike Babinski. Little Babinski. He said that the schedule will come from the original nine-game Big Ten schedule pre-COVID, 
would have to drop one game to make it eight. So the pre-COVID schedule. I had to do some digging on this, but I found it. Those nine games for Illinois were Rutgers and Nebraska on the road, Purdue at home, Minnesota at home, Wisconsin on the road, Iowa at home, Indiana on the road, Ohio State at home, Northwestern on the road. Those were the nine games. You only get eight, which means that one of the East teams, so that would be either Indiana or Ohio State or Rutgers, will be taken off. Now, you can guess which one it would be nice to get taken off. Ohio State, that'd be great, unless you think that that would be an actual measuring stick opportunity and that Illinois, if they compete, they'll show up on the national stage or something. No, give me the wins. Give me Rutgers. Give me Indiana. Though I get the feeling to ensure the easiest path for an 8-0 record for Ohio State, Illinois might find its way onto Ohio State's schedule. So let's presume then that you get Ohio State and either Rutgers or Indiana. Please be Rutgers if that's the case, because Indiana, that's a pretty good uh, football program right now. That would leave you with your divisional games, Nebraska, Purdue, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern, and then probably Ohio State and Rutgers. Eight-game schedule. How does that look? Back when we had the schedule on August 5th, I think I predicted three and seven or four and six. And I just didn't feel very optimistic because you had Ohio State and Penn State. If this schedule is true, if what the Purdue athletic director said is true, you don't get Penn State. So instead of two automatic losses, you're looking more at one with Ohio State, of course. Maybe you consider at Wisconsin another automatic loss. But with the Big Ten West as it is, with hopefully Rutgers one last go-round, man, has that been a huge advantage for Lovey Smith, you could maybe find yourself to a 4-4 four and four record or maybe 5-3 and best-case scenario, which, given the circumstances, would be a successful year. You tell me that I can watch eight weeks of Illinois football and expect to win every other week, that they'll be competitive. I'm going to take that this fall and maybe hold on to the fact that they're actually building something despite the lack of success with four-year high school recruits. We've also gotten some breaks. Brevin Jones, I think, is the name of the offensive tackle from Mississippi State, declared eligible immediately, along with a lot of these other transfers, grad transfers, including Josh Amadrebebe's brother, skill position talent, that will be ready to play this fall. So if you're asking, who did this delay benefit the most in the Big Ten West? You could make the argument that it benefited Illinois the most. Had the season started on time with a kind of weird, haphazard training camp schedule, you're kind of in the same boat as everybody. But the fact that Illinois has largely avoided opt-outs, we'll see if Rayvon Bonner decides to change his mind after these new health and safety protocols, which we'll get to in a bit here, then I think you can make the argument Illinois is in as good a shape as anybody, that their expectations for the normal 12-game schedule being what they were, you could actually give them a slight uptick heading into this eight-game fall slate against the Big Ten West, two teams from the East. Now, you know me. <laughs> I'm not a believer in Lovey Smith until I am proven otherwise, more than just that four-game stretch that they had last year. We did see signs, right? We saw signs of a program that at least could compete with other decent programs. And at least when you lined up against them, you didn't look like you were smaller, weaker, slower, any of that. No, there were guys on the Illinois side of the ball last year that looked every bit as good as on the other side. It has been a while since we've been able to say that. However, questions remain. 
Defensive line specifically. Not many proven commodities on the defensive line. Wide receiver, you got a matter Bebe back. You have Casey Washington. That's great. Uh, Navarro. You got a few other guys that you like as different pieces, but you don't have Ricky Smalling. And there's still a little bit of uncertainty in terms of depth at wide receiver. Offensive line, you love your starting five. The addition of that Mississippi State transfer, that certainly helps in terms of depth. But you go much deeper than that. You get into injuries. That would be a problem. But this is, again, where an eight-game schedule might actually be advantageous. A shorter season, hopefully less of a risk for injuries. Though, as you get into colder weather, I don't know if that's going to help or hurt matters. And you will get a full training camp ahead of time, too. So it's not as if these players, sort of like baseball, they ramped it up really quickly, and you've kind of seen more injuries as a result. That's not going to be the case for Big Ten football. All these elements combined, and one more, not having to really play in true road environments. Michigan State last year, that might have been a tough environment for at least some of the game, but not necessarily known as, especially the way it kind of got towards the end of the D'Antonio era, not known as one of the tougher places to play in the Big Ten. At least it didn't sound that way on TV, right? But think about this. Wisconsin, on the road against them, but without Camp Randall being absolutely nuts, or at Nebraska, which a team that you look at and think we're pretty comparable to them on an empty Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska. I love that for this team. You know what? I would love it for most teams. I think most teams are happy that they don't have true road games this year. But if I'm looking at Illinois and stacking them up just in terms of talent, I think, okay, they can find their way to four and four and maybe a five and three. Maybe. And with the lack of fans and the lack of a true road game, that only helps their case, I think. So there's a lot of factors here that could lead to a surprising fall for this team. Eight games, they're going to go super quick. Four and four, you feel great. Five and three, you're ecstatic. Three and five, depending on how you got there, isn't necessarily a disaster. But you don't necessarily build momentum either. So what will be cool about this season is we will constantly be kind of changing our expectations based on not just how Illinois is doing, but the other Big Ten teams. And really, between now and October 25th, when you do get Big Ten football, you have all these other conferences to watch to see how successfully they implement their schedules, how good of a product is actually on the field, to determine, okay, where is Illinois in the, in the midst of this muddled mess that is college football? Where is Illinois in 2020, and where are they going? And there's enough uncertainty there to keep me interested. That could fade. If you have a stinker, let's say, at home to Purdue and Jeff Brom gets his revenge for last year and you lose by 17 at home to what is a pretty mediocre Purdue squad. Yeah, of course, that excitement can evaporate fairly quickly. But in these eight games, it wouldn't take that much more to get a win to get the interest right back in the game. For me last year, it was a tale of two seasons. The first six games felt like this is it. It's over. Kind of like it did at the end of the Beckman era before the Penn State comeback, before the Northwestern went on the road. It felt like the end. And then the last six games, or I should say the four that came after that, were, <laughs> if I think of the most fun month I've had as an Illini football fan, that would be up there. Probably with September of the Rose Bowl year, after the Missouri game, before the Iowa game, those two weeks at home, especially against Wisconsin and Penn State. And then before that, a road game at Indiana. And then before that, a road game at Syracuse. Those four games, that was a fun month because it felt like the return of Illinois football. Similarly, those four games last year felt like maybe this is going to work. Only to be kind of derailed by, you know, a respectable loss at Iowa. 
and then an absolutely terrible performance against Northwestern at home, and then a very ho-hum appearance in a bowl game that was entirely forgettable, apart from, of course, the dive from Brandon Peters, which we all love, but it wasn't even a first down, but that's how we're selling Brandon Peters. I give Bob Osmussen grief for the Bob <laughs> for the Brandon Peters for Heisman article, which maybe we'll get another one of those, but regardless, for this team and for this season, as weird as it all is, and for all of the skepticism I have of Lovey Smith long-term in Illinois, it's Illinois football. It's starting in about five weeks. And you can bet that every single one of those eight games is going to be appointment television. And I'm going to make a day of it. Because in this year, we need to find things to hold on to and things to be happy and excited about. This is one of those. To sweeten the pot, bringing back college basketball right in the middle of this eight-game Big Ten football schedule, fantastic. Think of that month. November 21st, when college basketball starts back up. Yes, no fans in the stadium, I'm sure, but I'll be happy to watch that team. I don't care where they play. It could be just like the NBA bubble, not even at the State Farm Center. I just want to watch Io and Kofi and the rest of the gang on the court. And you're telling me, along with that, I would still have four more weeks of Big Ten football. I'm in. The contradictions... I've spoken about Austin Berkland had a tweet where I understood where he was coming from, though I don't entirely agree with the premise. I think he was sort of pointing out the Pat Forties and the Nicole Auerbachs of sports media who have been portrayed by some as not wanting college football to come back or more to the point, very critical of the conferences that have come back, right? And how can Pat Forty, for example, go to Notre Dame? and cover a football game like a normal football writer would, despite all the criticism that he's levied against these conferences for electing to play. I get it. I get that. But as I responded to Austin, this is a contradiction that I think a lot of fans are having to deal with. Yes, there is the portion of fans that wanted football back at any cost, period. I think we could throw a lot of the parents' groups in that because the health and safety thing at the end of the day was secondary to their mission, which was we want our sons to play football, period. But for me, and I think a lot of other people, we recognize the risk. We recognized it a long time ago, and we're probably thinking in June and July, are we actually going to get college football or any football, professional, high school, whatever? And realizing that if we didn't, in this context of a pandemic and all the uncertainty that comes with it and all the transmission, that we would be okay with it. Yes, it would suck. It would absolutely suck to not have Illini football or Bears football or for a lot of people, high school football on Friday nights. That would absolutely suck to not have that thing to look forward to. But in this year of all years, we've had a lot of things that we normally do look forward to in the summer. For me, concerts being a big example, or even just the smaller things like hanging out with the friends and family we want as much as we want inside if we so choose. We've had those things taken away. Call them sacrifices if you will, if you must. So for me, as these sports return, the contradiction, I guess, lies where I understand that I was someone expressing concern about bringing these sports back. As much as I want to watch them, I wasn't entirely sure if that's the right thing to do. Yet, when they return, you can bet your ass I'm watching all of it, all of it, and loving it. So that, I guess, is a contradiction in some ways to on one hand say, well, think of the health and safety, and then on the other hand say, oh, oh, the game's on. Let's watch it. 
So I'm glad that Austin raised that point. Again, I don't agree with the premise that Pat Forty or Nicole Auerbach or any of those other writers were inherently against football. I think they were doing their due diligence in saying that, okay, do these conferences really have the protocols in place to carry this off safely? I think that's a fair question to ask. I think it's still fair to ask as we sit here on September 16th, is this the right thing to do? Did the Big Ten make the right move based on all the evidence and data that they've amassed over the last month, let's say, from the initial postponement? Or are they really kowtowing to pressure and making a decision based on money and trying to up their Q rating, which took a hit? That old Q rating took a hit, not just from the people that wanted football back at any cost, but take me, for example. And I'm thinking about when Kevin Warren, and he addressed this today, how he had a productive conversation with Donald Trump. To allow your conference to be politicized when you have swing states all throughout the Midwest, a total bonehead move by Kevin Warren that just alienates the people that he hadn't alienated already. Essentially, I don't know if he knows what he's doing or any of that. And I think we could all agree, if we're trying to do a little kumbaya moment, we could all agree that it has not been a good first year for Commissioner Warren. It hasn't. <laughs> Does he deserve to get fired for it? I don't know. I mean, that's I'll leave that to other people. I That's really up to the presidents and the chancellors. But all that said, I did think that the outcry against him was a little bit misdirected, especially when parents groups or even some sports writers would claim, well, transparency, the big issue is transparency, when I think their actual motives were just simply, we want football. And they didn't really give a crap about the transparency. At the end of the day, with football returning, I think most people are happy. You were going to find that a lot of the, uh, you know, the mob mentality, for lack of a better term, against Kevin Warren, that will subside to a large extent. Is he ever going to be a popular commissioner after this? Probably not. But are people going to be sending him angry letters in the midst of an eight-game Big Ten season when we're watching Ohio State and Michigan play or Wisconsin and Iowa and enjoying every minute of it? I don't think so. I think by that point, the people that were angriest with him are going to be focused on the games on the field. So, you know, he'll get out of this fine. But it is totally fair to question how poorly they unrolled that back on August 5th. And now that we are just over a month after that, was this decision made truly based on the health and safety interests of these students? Now, the way that they have it in place, daily testing, daily rapid testing. So anytime that you have a player on the practice field, you know if they're positive or not. They also have a yellow, uh, what, red, yellow, green system where if you are above certain positivity rates amongst the team and also the general population, that you run the risk of just shutting down that team, the practices, losing um, or postponing games if it comes down to it. And you're really in a situation where a postponed game is a canceled game. You won't be able to get these games fit in, especially in regards to the football playoffs. And at that point, you're really looking at what? Ohio State? Maybe Penn State? Any other team going to be competing for that? Doesn't seem like it. So you have more stringent measures in place. And with the rapid testing, I think you're looking at far more individual cases of, oh, this athlete won't be on the field for the next three games, as opposed to, oh, God, there's an outbreak in the entire locker room. We got to shut it down. I think that will help alleviate the larger outbreaks, or at least I hope it does. So you can get these games in and get them in safely without more transmission. The thing that continues to puzzle me is people that view college football as its own bubble. 
these athletes are going to be fine. No one's getting sick. No one's going to the hospital. As we found out from LSU, Ed Orgeron essentially said about everyone on the team had it. But his big concern was the fact that, oh, you know, we didn't have to cancel any games. So that's great. No, the concern is that means that there are about 100 different dudes in, what is it? Is it Baton Rouge? That are now in the community with the disease, asymptomatic or not, and then they can spread it to people that could actually lose their life or become severely ill from it. So there's this weird disconnect that people don't understand. A virus doesn't just say, oh, well, I'm with the football player and I'm just going to stay here for a while. I'm not going to go out into the world and find any other person to infect. No, viruses don't care. They don't care that this is a college football season and it's probably best if I just stay inside this locker room or this offensive lineman. No, guess what? That guy's going to go to Walgreens or that guy's going to go to Applebee's. Well, that's a bad example. Who goes to Applebee's? But they're going to go other places and potentially infect people that are at risk. So the disconnect there from Ed Ordron and a bunch of other knucklehead media types. <laughs> you know, oh, no one's getting sick. Okay, hold on. People can and have many gotten sick or even died from this thing. So to pretend as if these guys wouldn't at least be carriers in their own community, and that is in fact a problem, is just tone deaf. And it's selfish. We are absolutely putting more of a priority on sports than the general public. You have colleges and universities open, and I completely understand the argument that began a long time ago that, well, why can you bring back tens of thousands of students? and tell me we can't play football. I get that. I get that. But on the other hand, now that we're here in mid-September and Big Ten football is only getting started because they have the ability to rapid test all these players every single day, and yet you have most of these college campuses unable to do that for their own student population. Yeah, we are clearly prioritizing the money that is involved with college athletes and college athletics. And we don't need to really make it any more complex than that. I'd be more outraged if I hadn't already accepted the fact that, yes, we place more of an emphasis and priority on revenue sports. We have all these non-revenue programs that are shutting their doors, and we're going to maybe run the risk here at Illinois of a few shutting their doors as well. Men's gymnastics is basically extinct in the NCAA, and this has only accelerated that process. And yet we have these bloated budgets for football, and basketball, and I get it. They make the money. I get it. But does football need 85 scholarship athletes? Do they need that large of an infrastructure? Can't we just give a little bit more to the non-revenue sports just so they can stay afloat? Because they can't be that expensive to run in the grand scheme of things, right? But no, we place the priority on football and on basketball. And you can bet that when the Big Ten and other conferences come out with their college basketball health and safety protocols, daily testing is going to be a part of that as well. Meanwhile, you have cities in this country where you won't get your test results for a week, if not more. And that coming by a test can be extremely difficult. Priorities, people. It's a pandemic, and yet we are allocating all these resources to sports. So yes, that is the contradiction. I enjoy them, and yet I realize that it is an illustration of our completely messed up priorities. Yes, send all the rapid tests to the 18 to 22-year-old kids that, as many people have argued, are not as at risk as other parts of the population. But meanwhile, grandma, living in a large city with a limited testing capacity, does not have the ability to get tested and get quick results. 
We've had a lot of time to figure this out. You know my thoughts on that, why we haven't. (laughs) Leadership matters. It's crazy to think we are less than seven weeks away from that day. Uh, I've pissed off a lot of people on Twitter. And you you see these fluctuations in terms of uh, interactions and, and followers and all that based on the politics of one's tweets. And I've tried to avoid overt partisanship. I don't think criticizing President Trump or a lot of his ideas is overtly partisan. I don't think it's about liberal conservative. I think it's about ineptitude. And I would liken it to the Tim Beckman era, for example. Saying that Tim Beckman was an awful coach was not saying that Illinois sports were inherently awful. I think that sometimes people interpret criticism of the leader at the top as a criticism of the entire thing. So if I were to criticize Tim Beckman, people would think you just are anti-Illini. Sure, whatever. I got my degree there and I grew up in Champaign-Urbana. But yes, I'm anti-Illini, as would people that look at me, criticize President Trump or people that subscribe to Trumpism and and think that I'm like anti-American or something. No, I'm just saying that guy's inept. He sucks at his job. And as a result, we're just kind of sitting here six months into a pandemic with our you-know-what in our hands and just (laughs) not sure how to proceed with this thing. That's an aside. But I guess it is a transition into another conversation. Uh, Mike Ditka. Now, bear in mind, Mike Ditka has said many stupid things in his life. He is an old, confused man, and he doesn't actually have much insight to things apart from token lines that come straight from the uh, macho patriot playbook, right? He thinks that what he's saying is common sense. And and I've always found it interesting, whether it be the fact that Stevie gave him the platform as much as he did back in 93.5. There, there are certain people that are attracted to brash, loud personalities, and they somehow interpret that brashness as this sort of, oh, I'm a meat and potatoes, common sense kind of guy. When in actuality, you dig between the words and find out it doesn't make any damn sense. That was a tightrope that I walked off in at 93.5 because on the morning show, we had all that nonsense, and it's been nonsense for a while, <laughs> which would trickle into sales meetings and all that, this other stuff where you're thinking, oh my God, like I'm just trying to do a sports show. And meanwhile, there'd be so much noise. Occasionally, it seemed like every year on cue, there was a new stupid thing that Mike Ditka said. And I'm thinking, there's going to be someday where our station ends up on Deadspin for some ridiculous segment with Mike Ditka. Somehow that never happened. At least to my knowledge, there was nothing that happened on Stevie's show that did get picked up nationally. But uh, nonetheless, Mike Ditka, of course, made the news again. He's a newsmaker. He said this about uh, the subject of George Floyd and the protest. Football's football. It's not a complicated thing. You're playing the game. You're enjoying the game. You don't like the game? Get out of it. It's not for protesting one way or the other. What color you are, what you think of this or that. You play football. That's it. You're privileged. You got to get from God that you can play the game because you got a body you can do it with. I don't really understand what you're protesting. I play the game. I coach the game for a long time. It makes no sense to me. He continues, I would tell those players to go to another country and play football there. You don't have to come out. You don't have to come out if you go to another country. You can't because the game's only played in this country. And if you can't respect this country, get the hell out. Now, that's the end quote, by the way. Thank God. (laughs) If that went on much longer, I'd get stupider for just reading it. But the, the funny thing about First off, the comments are very reminiscent of a South Park which made fun of ignorant rednecks who complained about immigrants coming in the country and they took her gerbs. Or if you don't like America, you can just get out. And I forget which character. I think it was Skeeter on South Park. Say, if you don't like America, you can just get out. Well, that's essentially what Mike Ditka is saying. 
But what he also showed there was he didn't care to listen to why the protests are happening. I am totally up for any discussion as to why someone would potentially be offended by protesting during the national anthem, especially as it relates to maybe a military history that they have or their own personal politics. That is a discussion that can be had, but it falls flat immediately when the person on the other side says, you know what, I'm not really listening to what those people are saying, or I don't care to listen to what those people are saying, as if the protests are not about something else entirely. Mike Ditka has probably been told time and time again from all different outlets, if he read newspapers or watched the news or talked to people outside of his own bubble, would probably have found out a long time ago that these protests during NFL opening weekend were about the murders of young black males and sometimes females at the hands of police officers. That's it. That is what the protesting is about. And we can get in the whole NFL doing the end racism Thanks, NFL. You know what? What great advice. End racism. How? (laughs) They didn't really get to that, except for the whole kumbaya thing that they do at midfield, the sign of unity, which, by the way, got booed in Kansas City. It is Missouri, so don't be too surprised about that. But for Mike Ditka to feign ignorance on this is just a sign that he's just kind of an ass. He's just kind of a stubborn ass. And where I lose respect for anybody is not about the politics of it, but the inability or the unwillingness to listen. So whether it be him or whether it be the morning show on 93.5 or whether it be Illini or Illinois rivals, their publisher, their inability and unwillingness to listen, not having to agree. No one's forcing Mike Ditka to agree with what these guys are doing, but to just revert to the old token, eh, if you don't like it, you can get out, is just, it, it, it adds nothing. There's no conversation to be had at that point. There's no good faith debate that you can have with someone whose default is, if you don't like it, you can just get out. Well, thanks, Coach. But as a Bears fan, I would prefer if Coach Ditka and all the iconic sort of imagery that we have with him and this macho crap, just just go away. Go away. Not get canceled. This isn't cancel culture. But if you're the Bears... You want someone to represent your organization that actually just isn't an ass. Mike Ditka is kind of an ass, you know? So why not like a Charles Tillman or a Matt Forte? You don't want necessarily a Brian Urlacher who thinks that it's okay for a 17-year-old vigilante to go into Kenosha and just start opening fire. This is common sense. This isn't partisan. This isn't that political, to be honest. This is actually just people being unwilling to listen to the actual anguish coming from groups that have been marginalized for so long, many of whom played for Mike Ditka. You would think as a coach of many young black males that he would have at least a little bit more empathy for it, but apparently not. But keep this in mind about Mike Ditka too. He was always someone that was in it for himself. We're talking about someone that has hawked any and every product that would pay him a few bucks. Someone that has, over the years, not really contributed anything meaningful to the discussion apart from this caricature of himself that he plays time and time again. Tough macho guy with a mustache. And Chicago people, some of them still eat it up, though I think it's less and less as the years go on, and people realize that there's not much behind the facade. There's not much. But uh, I saw that, and maybe it's not worth bringing attention to Mike Ditka, however old he is, however senile he's becoming. And I'm not saying that in some sort of ageist way. It's less to do with the age of the man and more the ideals behind him. And this is someone from the Stone Age. 
So he speaks out. All these years, there was one time where I had tweeted out when I was still 93.5, WGN picked it up. And I was like, oh God, am I going to get fired? Somehow I didn't. I, I don't know how I escaped that without getting called in for a meeting or something because he was still on the payroll. But you know what? It's just sort of like the Dan McNeil situation up at 670 The Score, how he got fired for a misogynistic tweet about Maria Taylor. You know, we can call it cancel culture. You can call it anything you want. I view it from a different prism, which is you are accountable and responsible for the things you say. And it is up to the consumer if they want to subscribe to that or just say, you know what, buzz off. You aren't adding anything to the conversation. Just like I would if someone says something really stupid on Twitter. If someone actually wants to have a conversation, I will engage. If someone comes at me with some sort of insult or something, I mute them. Not block, mute. Because that's not a conversation to be had. So when I read something like this from the, the coach, whatever, uh, that's, that's a non-starter. And it's frustrating that even in this year, after all the things that have been pummeling you in the face about why these protests are happening, that you didn't listen to a single word of it. Come on, man. Wake up. Wasn't that a segment on ESPN Sunday night? Come on, man. With Keyshawn Johnson when Coach Dicka was on it, I think. Anywho, a little aside there as we end uh, this podcast, a busy podcast. They all are going to be busy coming up, and I cannot wait until we get nitty-gritty, as Lon would say, dare to dream, as Lon and I would do back in the day, with Alani football, the schedule, all those details coming this week. We'll try to get another podcast in there before the weekend. Um, but it's a good day, sports fans. You got Alani football coming back. You got Alani basketball coming back. It may look different. It may feel different, but it's entertainment nonetheless. And as long as they can do it safely, I'm in. Let's do it. All right. For DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. All the best deals and prices at dpdoe.com. Custom zones with any topping you want. You can also get one of their favorites, Buffer Zone, for example. Delicious. They bring you this dipping sauce, often marinara. You dip your calzone in it. It is the best bang for your buck in Champaign-Urbana. That's not a joke. And they will deliver it anywhere in town. Just go to dpdoe.com to order your fresh calzone at dpdoe.com. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4 Buy two t-shirts, get one free, and use coupon code 200LEVEL or THE200LEVEL at forthandkirby.com. Hey, football season's coming up. You got to get some new swag. And Brian Hansen, State Farm agent online at brianismyguy.com. Auto, home, life, renters, business, any insurance needs that you have, brianismyguy.com. For Alana Inquirer, Mondays with Mike. We're going to get that going. I'll give you all the details about it as we get closer to doing that every week. And Champagne Showers Podcast Network. I hope you all have a great rest of your day with dreams of a 5-3 and three Illini football season in your heads. We'll get nitty-gritty as we go along for an eight-game Illini football season and hopefully a full Illini basketball season. It's a good day, everybody. Be safe, be healthy, be well. We'll see you soon. It is the 200 level. <laughs>